Hey all, thanks for listening to Brubble, a podcast gathering young voices and perspectives from around the Brussels bubble. A few years ago, French President Macron called for the European Commission, Council and Parliament to embark on an ambitious self-reflection project titled The Conference on the Future of Europe. Now, as we stand the eve of this project, how successful was this exercise? What lessons did we learn about Europe? And what reforms can we see happening from this conference? To help unpack these questions, and perhaps even take a tentative glance into our collective futures, I'm joined by two guests today, Saha and Ward, who have both been spending quite a bit of time in their professional life following this conference. So let's get into this exciting topic today. So we're here today on a typical rainy slash sunny-ish day in Brussels. How are we enjoying life, Saha and Ward? A bit too humid for me, I have to say. Too humid? Yeah, it's a bit too humid for me. <laughs> well, I, I can't blame the air conditioning in this room because it always gets a bit stuffy in here. Oh, outside it's worse. So <laughs> here it's actually quite nice. You get into authentic and Brussels experience. Yeah, and it's good to have you know good company that makes it uh, worth it as well. Oh, thanks. Uh, well, I hope that was me and not Ward because I, I knew you looked in his direction. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's also about you and Sai and I have already spent enough time together in uh, in the office. So uh, no, it, uh, we're doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, happy to have a nice uh, way to spend my Friday evening because uh, for once in June uh, I don't didn't want to be outside. Yeah, and I mean. I was going to say, for once in June, you're not working overtime in uh, in the evening, because that happens way too much in our industry in June. But, oh, uh, yeah. Regardless, we've talked a lot about what we're doing, but we haven't introduced ourselves yet. So, Saha, do you want to tell the kind people who you are, what you do in life, why you're here in Brussels? Uh, yeah, I mean, my name is Saha, as you just said. Uh, I'm from Brussels. I've been here for several years now, I think about 14 years. Uh, my parents also uh, lived in Brussels, now they live in Flanders, uh, so we're more or less from hereabouts. And uh, I work at Demzok with Ward here, and uh, it, I sort of came into it from my youth days of doing quite a lot of competitive debating and then switching over to youth participation and running a non-profit within youth participation and then coming over to Demzok a couple of years ago. So it's been uh, quite a journey and more or less surrounding Brussels. Yeah, and now you're in a podcast room today. Yeah, I've never done that before, so (laughs) that's quite interesting. No worries. But if any of our listeners want to do this as well, hit me up with the email in there. But last but totally not least, Ward, tell us how you got to this beautiful podcast room as well. Well, I got here uh, thanks to you. But uh, on my journey, I actually started to think about as a teenager, what do I want to get out of life? don't get uh, too your high your hopes up too much but uh, i started to care about elections about democracy and then after running in uh, for the election in local politics in my uh, hometown just out outside of antwerp i started to navigate my my way around and actually felt like there's something that doesn't work for me uh, perfectly with democracy and that's that a lot of people just see it as elections and nothing more so I started reading about it and actually got quite fascinated about this thing of participatory democracy and uh, deliberation. And so last year I decided to write my master's dissertation about it. Uh, and uh, that 
uh, ended up with me discovering this beautiful thing, what is the Conference on the Future of Europe. And uh, after a short stay at the Egmont Institute to run some projects on the Conference on the Future of Europe, uh, I ended up with uh, Saha at the Democratic Society uh, to evaluate and to also run some other projects to contribute to citizens' engagement and uh, European democracy. Cool. I mean, also to briefly introduce myself in case people don't know who I am. I'm Simon. I work at Government Affairs here at Microsoft, and I'm a Canadian slash Dutch expat living in this Brussels bubble trying to discover what it really is. <laughs> but enough about us. You both mentioned you worked at this place called the Democratic Society, or DEMSOC, as it is a much better way of saying it, better ring to it, I suppose. <laughs> do you want to describe a bit of what you do there, what DEMSOC does, what the mission is? Well, DEMSOC is essentially an organization that is it's basically a membership organization. It's a network of people-oriented organizations. It was started about 17 years ago in the UK, uh, and our founder is still our uh, director general, and uh, he sits behind us in, in our office in, in Brussels as well. And uh, from there, we we have people pretty much in so many different member states. I think 24 member states states or 23 member states that we have projects in. So it's, it's a really, really interesting place to work at. And it's a lot of really cool, really interesting stuff that we do. The conference is uh, only a small part of what Demsoc actually does or what's been we've been doing so far. Even within our team, we've been doing a lot of other stuff as well. And we do work on digital climate is some of our biggest uh, work, climate democracy, and how to get people involved in the decisions that matter to them in allowing them to participate in life and in policy and decision making that affects their life today, but also affects their future, especially when it comes to climate, uh, net zero ambitions. Tamsok is also one of the EU's net zero cities program. So there's a lot of different things happening at Tamsok, and it's always, always super exciting to see what others do when people come in in the morning, do their check-ins. Oh, we're working with the libraries, we're working with this, working with that. It's it's a very, very exciting place to see so many things happening that are so uh, people-centered. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the idea of like participa- participatory democracy is especially one that I, I hope we'll see become more prominent in the years to come. And it's exciting to see people who are, I guess, on the verge of that, if I can say so. Should we start a bit and introduce, I guess, what work you guys do with the Conference of the Future of Europe and then kind of give a really quick synopsis of what this conference is? Uh, Saha, do you maybe want to introduce how DEMSOC relates to it? And then, Ward, do you give a, a crisp definition? Um, yeah, I mean, for DEMSOC, it's, I think we were, uh, as official evaluators of the conference, we were commissioned by DGCOM to uh, evaluate. And it's slightly different to what we're what we generally do. Demsoc is, you know, we're uh, experienced practitioners, we're innovative researchers within democracy. So what we did was we ended up going to the conference uh, to every single session, week in week out. We have like a core evaluation team uh, with my colleagues uh, Laura, Saram, uh, Anthony, or Director General, uh, our other colleague Jorn. We we go there and we watch what happens, basically. So the conference is a very, very interesting, uh, massive, multi-scale level of citizen engagement and experimentation. It's a massive way to bring together all these different citizens across Europe to come in together and allow them to have a voice in their future. 
And what Demsoc does is we go and we watch how it actually happens, what they actually do, what is being discussed, and how effectively it's being discussed, what are the deliberative methods, and how from the deliberation side of it, how does it actually work, what's working, what's not working, what could be improved on, things like that. And then we take meticulous notes, we uh, follow very strict um, indicators, it's quite scientific, some of the observations that we do, and then we go back, write reports, we're actually writing a report uh, as we speak on the conference. So it's uh, it's been a very, very interesting process, and it's been an absolute journey and a pleasure to have witnessed from start to finish. Laura, do you want to give then a bit of a detail of what this journey is? Because I know myself, I'm not the most conference on the future of Europe, like maniac per se. So, so t- tell me, what do I need to know about this when I bring this up in conversation to some of my lesser European-minded Canadian friends? Yeah, definitely. As you said before, what might be a crisp definition of the conference? And for me, the, it is the biggest transnational experiment of citizens' participation and deliberation to date. We've never seen a project of this scale with such not only a multi-level approach, but also different working streams. So what are those working streams and what are the different levels? The way the commission likes to summarize it is through the three P's of the conference, which are the uh, platform, the panels and the plenaries. So the platform is a multilingual digital platform on which anyone could just register, contribute, share an event that they were going to do to add uh, substance to the nine big topics, which are just like the general priorities of the Commission and of the European Union. So that's uh, climate, digital, democracy, EU in the world, migration, rule of law, these kind of topics. Very broadly, anyone could add to that. Uh, And that was uh, the most, I would say, open tool because there was no discrimination. Uh, It's not the best word, but if you wanted, you could add you didn't need to be selected or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you had panels, uh, European citizens panels, four panels of 200 randomly selected European citizens who debated on a select uh, topic and then came up after three weekends of negotiating with uh, a set of recommendations. And then after that, which was perhaps the next two European citizens panels, which were the biggest kind of citizens panels, in my opinion, that have been organized to date, you had a very innovative thing, which were the plenaries, where the citizens actually came together with uh, representatives of the three institutions and also of national parliament representatives, uh, CSO members, civil society organizations. And so uh, there they, on the basis of the outcome or the summary of the digital platform and the recommendations made by the uh, European citizens panels and also national citizens panels hosted by the member states, they came together and presented them to the stakeholders of the institutions and uh, civil society to come uh, to a final report after this hybrid way of deliberating. So I would say those are the main pillars of what uh, was the Conference on the Future of Europe. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess one thing that I do think is important to ask is why did Europe need a conference like this? Why do you think we had to embark on this beyond just Macron trying to stamp his footprint into everything around here? I mean, because I think the union as a whole is just as relevant, if not more so than different aspects that we have in our lives. But however, I see it as something that we don't really Mm. consider as an 
as a big factor outside of the Brussels bubble or outside of the EU bubble. We don't really see the EU or the Union as a big thing, whereas it is very much a part of everyone's lives within the Union, every single citizen, and it gives them untenable rights that and protects them from so many different things. And a lot of people don't know enough or don't know much about it. And this way it allows them to interact with such an entity that does have a big effect on their lives uh, and allows them to interact and tell that entity not only what they would like to see, but also understand that entity better and allow for a better friendship between them. Between the, It's not just about your local government. It's not just about your regional federal governments. You're yeah. more than just an Italian or a Belgian or, you know, it's a, it, you're also European. And I think that's a that's a concept that's been quite uh, not revealing, but it's been quite nice to see with this conference and the citizens who have been engaged in in it. And I mean, you deal with democratic issues throughout every day of your lives. Do you think that participatory democracy was the correct kind of model to fit this proceedings on? Do you think, or was it like the only one that was really out there to go forward? To me, participatory democracy is the one way that you can engage citizens outside of electoral politics and outside of voting and outside of uh, just that particular aspect of democracy. The one way that you can engage people and keep them engaged is participatory democracy. And it also actually has an added bonus effect on electoral politics, if you would ask me. People are more engaged and people are more uh, active in their political life. They uh, they tend to be uh, they, they tend to become party members, or they tend to become more active in otherwise in their political life with voting or encouraging other people to vote or telling their friends and family that oh I went to Strasbourg and I did this and I spoke to that person. So that allows more people to get engaged as well. Mm. And I guess as a former politician yourself, Ward. And any thoughts on that? <laughs> well, just to be clear, I ran for the local elections, but I, I have never... You're more I, of a politician I, I, than I, I am, that's yeah, what I'm going to say. <laughs> but I, I was never elected, so I would just say that I was a, a, a passionate uh, more than I was an actual politician. Um, so I echo everything that Saha has just said, and is participatory democracy the only way? Probably not. I think the EU needs more and other reforms, and we can debate that another time, but the treaties mention that democracy democracy in the EU is uh, based on representative and participatory democracy that is in the Treaty uh, of the European Union. And there are already participatory tools, uh, but uh, when they get evaluated, there is big consensus on the fact that they reach only a certain set of uh, citizens uh, for those tools that already manage to reach citizens. Mostly they're used by civil society, by organized interests, but a unique citizen has a lot of hurdles to actually participate. So that's why I think a conference on the future of Europe was a good way to actively reach out to citizens at large. And um, what I would like to add as well is the fact that uh, indeed, as we have just seen in the, in the French elections, for example, participation is lowering with mm. each election. Although when people get asked, they indicate that they want to participate. So why do they not participate at elections? Is it because they think their voice is not heard anymore? 
So we need to experiment with different tools where we can engage citizens and give them the feeling that they can get heard not only once every four or five years, but also in between elections. And as indeed Saha has said, making sure that they get heard between elections might give them the courage or the motivation to go vote again and to actually add legitimacy to representative democracy. Because when I was doing my research, some people actually think that participatory democracy is a threat to representative democracy. But my view is actually by doing participatory democracy, you will uh, strengthen representative democracy as well. So I think it can legitimize uh, each other. Yeah, I think that's a great way to kind of like set the scene of why this project was embarked on. Because I think that answers some of the key questions. Because I mean, all we hear about is the lavish dinners you guys receive, right? So, <laughs> but uh, maybe you shouldn't go into that. <laughs> I don't remember receiving any lavish dinners. <laughs> I know there's this controversy in Politico a while back where they're like, oh, they spent so much on this conference hall in Poland or somewhere. And I'm like, nah, we'll see. We'll see. But, uh, should we get a bit into like the nitty-gritty of what the conference on the future of Europe, on what they discussed there and what they kind of concluded? I mean, they had 49 key recommendations. Each of these was like pages long. So maybe just give some highlights of what we think like the key takeaway should be if we have only five minutes to discuss about this. Well, I think when you say highlights from the 49, it's highlights that's been probably at least in the back rooms being discussed in at UCO just now as well. And it's something that's been on everyone's lips the last few weeks, which is the convention and the treaty change mm. that requires some of these proposals. And I think that also comes back to the point that Ward just mentioned about how this legitimizes representative democracy. And I think the conference has just finished less than a month, just over a month ago. But you can already see that this is legitimizing and this is being a good addition to representative democracy with the European Parliament uh, voting, uh, voting for a convention to reassess the treaties. And they, this is something that uh, they've been wanting to do for a while, I'm, I'm sure, uh, but this coming out of the conference also legitimizes the need for them to do so. And it legitimizes the need to revisit the conventions, uh, uh, to, re to revisit the treaties, to say, okay, this is a new EU in the century, so what do we want to do? What are our new priorities? What are what are what the climate crisis or this or that? There's Our priorities are different. Life is different. So the future must be different. So from what I'm understanding, the people have spoken, they've said, we need to change some subtle things about how the commission, the parliament, the EU institutions that we vote for, how they operate in this world. Is there any examples maybe what the, the key things are that they want to see a bit changed or maybe a bit simpler or simplified just so we can kind of move forward? Or is that a weird way of asking this question? No, definitely not. Uh, a specific way to see what the... Uh, what they want to change is perhaps that they literally are begging the institutions to reach out to them, not only hear them, but also give them the proper information. So many citizens don't know what the EU is actually doing, or what the EU does for them. So there is this big, big demand uh, for information, education, communication, and it's, it's from specific requests like from primary school, secondary school, depending on which citizen you ask, but make sure that the EU is present in schools, in curricula, uh, because they feel that 
once they leave the educational system, they don't know the EU and they're really on their own. And we all know it's a bit difficult to get proper information on what is uh, going on at the, at the European level, level, what is going on in Brussels. Uh, so make it a part of education, but also uh, make it more easy if you want to become a proactive citizen to find the ways to do it. Uh, and for example, and there you see some of the commitment of, for example, the European Commission, uh, there is the idea to create a one-stop shop for all tools that uh, can help citizens engage, for citizens to get heard. Because right now you might need 10 different websites to find the way to reach out to the institutions. Bring that together, that's definitely a big demand I think I felt from the citizens as well. So to get heard, but also to reach out to them and give them the proper information on what is going on and how can I get heard. Hmm. Any other, like I guess, specific examples we should be mentioning here before we move on, Saha? Uh, well, I think in addition to that, there was also uh, one of the recommendations on a permanent citizens assembly, for example, which is another uh, way for citizens to say, we like engaging and we want to be able to have a better say in, our, in decisions that affect us and we want to be more involved, we should do this at a European level more often. And so the, one of the interesting uh, uh, recommendations that came out of uh, the democracy theme was one of those. So I think there's so many different things that came out, whether it's climate or whether it's democracy, whether it's uh, digital youth, etc. And I, and I think that's that's why it's important to be able to do this uh, on different levels with citizens and make these decisions and legitimize the decisions made for them. Yeah, fair enough. Was there anything you thought, I mean, you guys have been following it, I mean, for the eight months it was happening, and I bet beforehand for quite a while as well, and now afterwards as well, and I guess there was a lot of build-up about the themes and stuff. Was there any issues you wish were talked about more? Were any you thought were disappointed to see that the citizens, I guess, didn't talk about enough? Um, I think... The themes that were that were covered were rather overarching, and they covered so many different areas. Uh, but I think there were also subtopics, or maybe sometimes just a bit too um, put together, where we feel like, hmm, maybe uh, as a citizen, I wasn't really there to say something that might have been more relevant to me, for example. and uh, th But this is, again, because I was in specific working groups uh, and wasn't really there in every single working group. So maybe in other places there were, uh, but I feel like there were maybe not enough recommendations or discussions between citizens that were based on some of the more oppressive things that happen or minority rights or things like that. I think at least I didn't see them being discussed as much. And I think that would have also been quite interesting considering we do have a very, very diverse union and it very much matters that everyone has equal, uh, untenable civil rights and liberties. Yeah, I think that's a great point to make because I, I remember reading Prudhoe's 49 recommendations to prepare for this, obviously. But uh, I, I call one of the key ones for, I guess, the, the foreign relations one is to have EU be stronger in calling those abuses and stuff. And I think if we can't really reflect on, I guess, equality or representation within the union ourselves, I guess that's a bit hypocritical even to some sense. But, yeah. No, that's a good point. 
word any other <laughs> insights? No, not immediately. I think uh, that would have been my first reflection as well. Indeed, uh, the minority rights and and how to to address proper inclusion uh, within the yeah. EU. Uh, I think the citizens made a proper demand for them as a whole to be better represented or better heard. But it, it's important to, to also make sure that those uh, more vulnerable groups are, are also included in that conversation. Yeah. I guess now shifting a bit away from, I suppose, the content of the entire exercise, overarchingly looking at this, how do you think it went? Because uh, I know there's been some prominent critiques floating around the bubble I said, about the conference itself, but I guess taking a look back a month removed now, are we happy? Are we satisfied? I think there's always going to be people criticizing things like this, but I think one thing that we have to remember is this was uh, something done at an absolutely unimaginably massive scale, mm-hmm. and it's been done for the first time. Yeah. And there's no way it was going to be perfect. But it did so many, so many good things, and it has allowed us to set up this platform where people can discuss and say, we want to be able to do this, we want to say this, I want to go directly interact with this person and say what matters to me. And it's allowed for the European Parliament to also uh, take the, that those proposals and those outcomes to... Uh, ask for a convention to revise the treaties. And we really underestimate how much of an effect this is going to have in our daily life, in daily democratic life for the people in the forthcoming few years. So we do anticipate the conference on a future year being one of those, I guess, landmark names we see being thrown around in the years to come as one of those moments. Yeah, I guess so, because uh, I think Commissioner Switcha said it at a, a conference uh, or a panel discussion a, a few months ago that her hopes were that we would speak of a pre and a post uh, conference on the future of Europe era. And I, I truly believe that uh, the conference achieved its goal of having a citizen-centered discussion and a European-wide citizen-centered discussion. If you have a look at the final report, you see a lot of the IDs, I, like all of the IDs, come from what the citizens asked for. They had discussions together with the institutions. They learned from the dynamics between the institutions, which I think is also a a big added value of what happened in the plenary and the working groups. What can each institution do? What is it doing? But where they could have been out-muscled by seasoned politicians, by uh, people representing an entire institution, they managed to... Uh, come forward with a final report that kept the essence of what citizens wanted. And I I think that has uh, triggered a culture change, a change in mindset uh, about the fact that citizens can uh, deliver quality input on what you can or should be doing. And that there are ways to uh, more or less permanently or on a more structured basis uh, include citizens in EU democracy, so yeah, I think it's definitely a, a landmark moment that we're witnessing. I guess that's uh, good to hear from my tax dollars, which I am totally paying. So, <laughs> <laughs> Although it has been a... While I believe we are optimistic, since I feel like we've been more intimately involved with it, there are some pessimists out there, and I think one of the more stronger critiques that I've been hearing floating around is, well, the citizens have spoken, but had they really spoken if nobody's listening? 
And is that something that you were at all concerned about in like, your work or even your observations of the conference? Well, no, I mean, I think that's where we, if we go back to the uh, parliament asking to, uh, for a convention is, I think that's a very much the biggest proof that we can see here that people are listening. The MEPs were listening with them and speaking and with them uh, in Strasbourg during the plenary sessions. And they came back and they said, oh, we want to do this. And now they've they've passed that uh, uh, draft resolution to uh, revise the treaties. And now we're just waiting for the council to uh, respond and say, okay, let's do this or let's not do this. We'll see what they say. But the commission's also ready to uh, go and do this uh, to see what we can actually take from them. And um, the one of the... Uh, one of the chairs of the conference, uh, Clément Bon, for the French uh, government, also said that, yes, some of these proposals requires a treaty change, but there's so many others that don't, and that's stuff that we can move on and we can make sure happens. So I think it's uh, already there that this is happening. People are listening, and they've been debating and discussing this for weeks since the conference ended and almost immediately after so they're definitely listening. And this should be an encouragement for citizens and for governments and politicians to do more of these exercises, to have more of these exercises, to actually allow them to govern better, to make better policies and decisions. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting way to phrase it. Because when you were saying that was out to me, is even in my own work here, I guess working more on the government affairs side, it's the conversations which we have with people, even if they don't result in something, like not planting ideas sounds very nefarious for me to say, but just having those conversations, dispersing the converse, uh, these discussions does lead to real impact. Maybe not right away, but people will be more inclined to talk, to consider new ideas and possibilities. And I think that's easy for somebody who's not in a policy background to forget that politics is a very slow process. It's not a process where you get something done the next day and publish something out. Yeah, no, uh, I agree with, with what you're saying because I think uh, you started the question with are people actually listening? And mm. as Saha indicated, they're very clearly listening uh, and they're already showing at least uh, definitely the parliament and the commission uh, the ways in which they can act and it's uh, waiting for to see how the council will respond to it. But uh, I, I, I would like to say two things. Firstly, they have already promised that uh, not only uh, von der Leyen will disclose more in her State of the Union about how the Commission will respond and the fact that the Commission has already published a communication last week uh, on a few initial things they plan to do, but also they uh, have promised the citizens uh, that took part in the European panels turn moment, uh, or if I can say it like that, uh, to the European Parliament in September or October most likely to give them a proper overview of what the three institutions together, because I think that's uh, something not to forget. It was an inter-institutional exercise in which uh, the Common Secretariat brought the three institutions together and was like the governing body on a daily basis of the conference. With, uh, and that Common Secretariat will present them with how they plan to listen to the citizens' uh, proposals and what work they will do. So. In which way uh, do we expect the politicians or the institutions to listen? Uh, I think indeed going back to the citizens and properly 
talking them through that process of how they are listening, I think that's more importantly than indeed the immediate policy outcome. Because there's so many, many things indeed that the institutions already might be working on some of the recommendations or that they might quite soon start working on. But if you don't go back and don't disclose it to the citizens, then you will start to have them uh, to create frustration. But by having that feedback loop and, and keeping them informed, I think that's how you can actually keep them encouraged about what's happening with the process and the fact that that commitment is already there. That's an, for me an important sign that they have to deliver something because it would be a bit embarrassing to uh, invite 800 citizens to Strasbourg and tell them, actually, we're not doing anything. So I think the fact that that is already planned, that commitment is there, is an important first sign. And there, have, uh, there are some promises made, such as uh, organizing future European citizens panels when they table key legisl legislative proposals with the Commission. Those are also ways in which the citizens have been heard. So the big question is, in what way did we expect the institutions to listen? There is a commitment to give feedback on that later on, but there's also already a change in culture, uh, a change in mindset to repeat this in different formats again. So I think uh, there has definitely been a listening ear to what the citizens have been asking. Oh, that's good to know. And I feel like that also kind of, you know, suggest that we do think that the future of Europe is going to be brighter because of this conference, right? <laughs> Any disagreement of, around the table from that? No, not at all. Uh, I want to shift to closing up a little because we've been going for a little while and this room has not been getting any less humid, so apologies <laughs> to both of you. <laughs> but I wanted to focus a bit, I guess, the conference is, I suppose, wrapping up a little and you guys are still working at a democracy place, a Demsoc, you know, focusing on democracy. Is the conference still going to be a huge area of focus for your work? Or are you going to be shifting on to other projects? And what other things should we just basically be keeping our eye on? Well, year? for the next few weeks, we're still working on the conference <laughs> with the with our reporting on our evaluation. Yeah. So that's still going on for, for now. And uh, then I hopefully hope uh, that we can all take a, take a holiday. <laughs> What's well, taking a holiday, for sure, uh, in the next few weeks. I'm not sure when yet, but I will be taking one as well. And uh, I think the thing with democracy is we need to remember that something doesn't have to be particularly democracy-oriented, but rather democracy isn't everything. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different things that we do that aren't uh, going to shine lights and say, oh, democracy, but rather there are things that are very, very democratic. Climate work is very much democratic. Uh, we're looking forward to uh, our colleagues on, on our Net Zero Cities team who are going to be doing some really cool stuff in the next few months, in the next few years to come to enable 100 cities in the, in, in the EU to become carbon neutral. Um, and uh, there's just... Uh, there are some of our other colleagues are working on uh, trying to establish democratic infrastructure uh, and what that means uh, within democracy. Are we have a very, very innovative research team working on so many really interesting and really inspiring methods and research pieces that are very, very inspiring to just go through and read and even visually very, very pleasing to, to experience. And if any of the listeners want to experience them, where can they find it? Uh, you can always go to our website. We have a lot of our stuff and our project pages. We have our different thoughts and our reports uh, up on the website. Yeah, cool. 
So I always like to wrap this up with asking more, a bit more of a personal question, which is somewhat, I call it a personal question because it's a personal answer, I expect. <laughs> but uh, it's just a fun question at the end. But one of the things that I really liked about the, the recommendations of the, 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 the Conference for the Future of Europe is that they started proposing new holidays. If you got to propose a new holiday, what holiday would it be or what would it be focused around? I'm going for the boring answer here, uh, but I, I support the idea for a European holiday because, as I, as I suggested in, in, in a recent paper I published, I think what the conference for me created, and so it's not really a personal answer, but it, I really relate or, or it really resonated for me uh, as what I try to work around. The reason to have a European public holiday to ce- celebrate Europe mm-hmm. is for me for the very first time I felt that the EU was succeeding in creating conversations pan-European wide between citizens from the different member states and to structure that holiday around that uh, pan-European culture, the the, the pan-European debate is for me something that I find really motivating and we're never gonna have a European demos because uh, the concept of a demos is, is very abstract but to, to have a more uh, more European culture, a, a culture of belonging to the EU, which is, I think, sometimes a bit absent still, uh, to have that realization for everyone that we belong to Europe, that we are European citizens, because legally we are uh, European <laughs> citizens. Uh, I, I think to, to make that more a cultural thing than a legal thing, that, uh, that sense of discussing, debating, but also experiencing Europe. That's going to be a hard answer to follow up on. See, I was just thinking, I want some kind of holiday to go look at stars or something like that. (laughs) You give this really deeply, like, interwoven answer. I was on a completely different dimension there, but I think to to follow up on maybe what Jit said is, that's also something that, as he spoke, uh, felt like something that resonated with me, because growing up in Brussels with expat parents who are more or less around these uh, sectors. I went to the parliament or to the council or the source of during Europe Day when, when they had the open days. And I would go like look at all these things. There's pictures of me when I was a kid drawing and there's pictures of my sister and like uh, sitting and coloring and, and so on. So there's so many things that we've done going in growing up and that allowed me to understand what is going on better, but also just feel more of part of it. And I think everyone outside of the Brussels bubble, outside of, of growing up here, to also feel that. Yeah, I think that's a great way to end this all up, because I, I think that's a beautiful answer from both of you, more than I could expect. So finally, my personal question got some personal details out. You know. <laughs> Gotta aim for that. But yeah, thank you both, you, Ward and Saha, for joining me today. I think I've, I've had a great learning experience here, and I hope our listeners have had as well. So, Thank yeah. you, actually. It was super chill to be able to talk about this with you. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. Likewise, thanks a lot. Uh, reflecting on, on this process uh, in this way is also for for me, but I think Saha will have the same uh, uh, learning experience, but also very optimistic to, to feel this kind of... Uh, atmosphere uh, surrounding this project so thanks to you great well no no worries and if you the listener have listened to this and thought i want to hear my own voice in this podcast i want to talk about a bit of my own experiences and work life in the brawl as i'm calling it now (laughs) Um, feel free to reach out to me i'm always looking for new people and thank you of course for listening in so i hope i'll catch you in a week or two with a new episode so 
Goodbye, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks. Goodbye.